Now, if you're new to the gathering here, let me just say, let me just say welcome. We're glad that you're here. We've been talking about what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus. And there's this pastor and author named John Mark Comer out in, in the Portland area. And uh, it, this is kind of where I first heard this articulated really simply. And so I've kind of taken some of his stuff. So again, <clears throat> for today's message, I am less creator and more curator of, of his content today. So what does it mean to be an apprentice of Jesus? Well, we've said that to be an apprentice of anything, you've got three goals. Okay, this applies to carpentry or electricians, uh, professors, veterinarians, farmers. Uh, an apprentice desires to be with the master, to become like the master, and to begin doing what the master does. Now, this isn't like slave master. This is like, this is like Jedi master, okay? So this is, this is someone who has spent a lifetime mastering their craft. So for those of us who, who are trying to be apprentices of Jesus, that means that we order our lives around three goals. And we'll see if we can get those slides going. Tech Booth is working on it. All right. So to be with Jesus, goal number one. Those of you who've been here, what's goal number two? To become like Jesus, good. And then goal number three, begin doing what Jesus did. Exactly. So today we're going to look at the third goal. And if you missed the first two and, and you're just visiting, then you probably didn't miss much. But if you're, if you're considering calling the Grove home, I just want to encourage you to go back on YouTube, get caught up. And so today, like my friend Randy says, um, I'm going to show you the whole hay bale, okay? But at the end, I'm going to give us just one flake that we can chew on this week. So let's start in Matthew 4, verses 18 through 25. And this is page 961 in your Bible. And so for those of you students who, um, you know, we can be a little intimidated by, by Scripture. We got this big pew Bible, and you look at that, like, where do I even start? What I like to tell our kids is that it's really simple. Think of it this way. So the beginning of the Bible is the creation of the world, the fall of mankind, Adam and Eve sin. And then you have kind of the history of God's people. And then you've got the prophets talking about someone is coming. Remember, originally we were created to be in fellowship with God. He, he took walks with Adam. So that was the original intent of being created, fellowship with God, and that was broken with sin. And so the prophets, the end of the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, are the prophets saying that someone is coming to restore that relationship between the Creator and His creation. And then kind of nestled right in the middle of the Old Testament are these nuggets of wisdom with Proverbs and, and the Psalms. And then you get into what we call the New Testament, and the first four books of that are the Gospels, okay? So the Gospels are kind of the eyewitness account to the life and the birth and the death and the resurrection and the ministry of Jesus. And then you go into the letters to the church from the apostles on, now that we know that, now that we know who the Messiah was, who came to restore that relationship between creator and creation, how then should we live, right? So that's kind of the Bible in a nutshell. And so we are in one of the gospels, the first gospel, Matthew Four, and we're going to plow through some scripture here, so I hope you're ready. You're welcome to follow along. I do not have the verses on the screen, so you can either listen or you can follow along with, with your own Bible. Matthew 4, 
verse 18 through 25. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they were fishing for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. Now, some of your translations might say, be, become fishers of men. And here's what you need to know. That wasn't just some like cute little saying. That was actually an idiom of first century Israel. They would, they would say, oh, that rabbi is a fisher of men. And what that meant was in his teaching, he was, he was so creative and told stories in such a way that he would actually catch men and reel them in with his storytelling. So when they heard this, he was basically saying, you know, I'm a great teacher. Come follow me and I will teach you how to do that. Be my apprentice. So Jesus called them out, come and follow me. I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Like no two-week notice, like just mid-morning fish, drop their nets, follow Jesus. That's amazing. So a little farther up the shore, verse 21, a little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. Immediately they followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind them. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news, your version might say the gospel, of or about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria up to the north, and the people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic, or paralyzed, or healed, or he healed them all. Verse 25, large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the ten towns, or the Decapolis, Jerusalem, from all over Judea, and from the east of the Jordan River. Anybody that's visited Israel, what's east of the Jordan River? Jordan, like they were coming from outside of the country and coming in to follow him, to hear what he had to say. So then we get into chapters 5, six and seven. Now here's what you need to know. Some of our Bibles have red letters and I think the pew Bibles do. So the red letters are anything that Jesus said. Okay. So if you're just new to this journey, if you're just starting out and you're like, man, I get it that you think the Bible is simple, but like, where, where do I start? Well, just start with the red letters. Like you can't go wrong. That's those those are Jesus's words. And so chapters five, six, and seven are all red letters. And this is the sermon on the Mount. This is kind of Jesus manifesto for kingdom living in this world. Matthew 8 picks up with him wrapping up his sermon and he starts to leave and like everybody's following him because they're just astonished at his his teaching. And then we drop down to Matthew 9, verse 9. It says this. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Now, just real quick um, history on, uh, on the tax collectors of that time, they were, they were actually, they were Jewish people who worked for the Roman government and nobody liked them, okay? So when we, when we hear tax collector now, we equate that to like accountant or something like that. I love my accountant. So this, this is not what this is talking about. What we're talking about is a tax collector, okay? So like worse than an IRS representative because here, here's why. Because they had the authority, they had the stamp of approval from the Roman government to not only collect their taxes for Rome, but to add whatever they wanted to their, to their taxation for their salary. 
So these guys were living high on the hog. Nobody liked them. And so here's a tax collector at a tax collector's booth. And, you know, he's got issues. If you read about uh, Matthew, he's got some, some stuff going on. And Jesus says to him, follow me and be my disciple. And if you, if you understand how, how kind of crazy that is, that, that Jesus' open invitation is to anyone, not just Jewish fishermen, but to actually people who, who, who are looked at as like traitors, it, you know, um, he says, follow me and be my disciple. And Matthew got up and followed him. And so I just think that's a really good reminder because some of the people that we know who are following Jesus, um, they're kind of a work in progress, right? And that's, that's true for me. That's true for all of us. So Matthew 9, verse 35 through 37. Let's continue reading. Jesus traveled through all of the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. There's that word good news again, and we, we have the word gospel in some of our translations. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. I can't, I can't do this by myself. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. In Matthew 10, verse 1, Jesus called his 12 disciples together, gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. Here are the names of the 12 disciples. And he goes on to list them. Simon, Andrew, James, John, Philip, all the way down to Judas, who later betrayed him. Now, notice verse 5, chapter 10. It says, Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. Don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. We talked about that last week. God is near. Jesus is saying, go preach that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. Basically, he's saying, okay, disciples, you followed me for a year or two or longer. You've helped me. You've, you've passed out bread. You've watched me. You've been my apprentice. Now you're up. It's your turn. Go do what I do. Matthew 28. This is the Great Commission. So you hear this. You're probably familiar with this passage. So here it is. This is, this is what we are all about. This is the Great Commission. This is what we are to do. Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. We talked about, talked about that a little bit. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Son, or in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all of the commands I have given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, anybody else seeing a pattern develop here? Apprenticeship to a teacher means that the end goal is to do what the teacher did. Apprenticeship to Jesus means the end goal is to do what Jesus did. So our goal is to do what he did. 
So, so what did he do? Well, he ushered in the kingdom of God. And the best that we can tell from Scripture, we can kind of put that into ten categories. These aren't official. Uh, you can read for yourself and kind of see what he did, and you can move these around or add to it. But the kingdom work of Jesus is basically preaching the gospel, teaching the way, healing the sick, casting out demons, eating and drinking with people far from God, doing justice, peacemaking, praying, prophesying, and standing up against religious or political con- corruption. Now, in that day, the, the religious, political, that was, that was, uh, they were kind of all one together. I never saw Jesus pick a fight with Rome. He just kind of was picking a fight with the religious leaders of that, of that time, most of the time. So, and, and here's a little side note. Here's something that's interesting to think about. And this is really interesting for a recovering Baptist like myself. He sent the disciples to preach the good news, right? The gospel. But Jesus hasn't died yet. See, the cross of Calvary and the blood of the Lamb hasn't happened. And the disciples are clueless about this moment. We know that right up to the very end. They had no idea that this was coming, despite Jesus' alluding to the fact that he had to die. So, what was the gospel that they were preaching? The disciples were preaching the kingdom of God has come on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that every Sunday. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The Messiah has come. His name is Jesus. And there is a new way of doing life. Kingdom of heaven living. So today we preach Jesus Christ and him crucified, of course. But for those of us who live kind of 2,000 years away from, from this moment, it's easy to assume our job as apprentices of Jesus, listen to me, it's easy to assume that our job is to turn the good news into simply talking about or knowing what Jesus has done. And we've forgotten that our goal is to actually do what he did. So why does that matter? Here's why. It matters because the world looks at those of us who claim to be following Jesus, and they see no difference between our lives and theirs. We have the same anxiety, with the same divorce rate, we have the same schedules, the same aspirations, the same fears. It's kind of like the, the gas station in Oneida. The sign still says open, but we know it's not. Like, our, our words are not matching our, our life. Brennan Manning says it this way, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians. Christians that acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And I, and I understand, I mean, remember, I'm in the trenches with you, okay? So I understand, I understand this, that the first two uh, to be with Jesus and to become like Jesus are not terribly difficult, okay? Um, honestly, it's not simple. I mean, it's not, it's not easy, but it's simple, right? And it's foundational. It's kind of like macro and microeconomics, right? I mean, it's... Uh, 
it's interesting, it's difficult, but it's still compelling and interesting enough for us to keep going. Um, But I do know that I'm going to lose about half of us here. And it's, it's, it's a lot like jumping straight into Econ 441 and um, the professor is going to retire the next semester and you just want to drop the class before you flunk, okay? That may have or may not have happened. We won't, we won't talk about that. So I don't want you to be overwhelmed with, with this. Remember, a flake of hay today, okay? So know this. While, G- while being with Jesus is foundational to becoming like Jesus, which then naturally leads to doing what Jesus did, it's not a master one and then move on to the next, okay? As an apprentice of Jesus, I don't think we can say, hey, I'm still, I'm still working on being with Jesus, and I'm trying to get that figured out. I haven't really even started um, working on Sabbath yet. I'm still trying to figure out abiding and silence and solitude so um, I can't do what Jesus did, you know, check back in with me in five years and we'll see how I'm doing. So yes, there is a progression, okay? But it is a lifetime of practicing all three in community through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that that's what this becomes. Our goal is this apprenticing under Jesus is what the grove becomes all about. I love this definition of the church. Church is a community of followers of Jesus seeking to rediscover the teaching of Jesus and practices of the early church and apply them to the soil of a post-Christian world. Notice the word seeking. We aren't there yet. So let's look quickly at some practical steps that we can take to kind of seek to begin doing what Jesus did, okay? Number one, grow and mature into the kind of person who can join in Jesus' kingdom work. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We talked about the spiritual formation triangle, and that's what this is all about. You know, we, we, the stories that we believe, the habits that we have, and the relationships that we have kind of form us whether we like it or not. And so what we do, spiritual formation, is we make sure that the stories we believe are impacted by good teaching, and not just for 20 minutes on Sunday, but through what we listen to during the week, and uh, what we watch, and what we read. And then we also, we replace habits, because remember, what we do becomes who we are with the practices of Jesus. We've talked about those. And then we do that all within community of fellow believers through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, number one, to grow and mature into the kind of person who can join in Jesus' kingdom work. Number two, know your stage of life and season of apprenticeship. So here's, here's what I mean. For some of us, I mean, it's just, you know, we, there used to be the bracelet. We've talked about this too, the bracelet that said WWJD. What, what, what would Jesus do? And that, those were great bracelets. I, I still see those around occasionally. Um, but we have to remember that Jesus was a... Uh, 30-year-old single guy with no kids in first century Israel, right? So a better question would be, what would Jesus do if he were me? What would Jesus do if he were a father of seven and a husband and a realtor? What would he do if he was a single mom? So you, what would he do in, if he lived in Knox County versus, you know, imagine asking that question 
Uh, if we were in Chicago, what would he do if he were you? That's a better question. What would Jesus do if he were you? For some of us, and I remember when Jenna, well, I think it was probably, you know, everybody's like, man, you got so many kids, that must be really hard. It actually gets easier after the third one because you have helpers, so it's not quite so bad. But I do remember those first those first four kids were all within like six years, okay? And so if if I'm Jenna and I'm asking that question, okay, what would Jesus do if he were me? Well, you know, honestly, when the kids take a nap and just taking a nap yourself might be what Jesus would do, right? If you can get a psalm in that day, if you can read a passage from Psalms, that's awesome. That's what Jesus would do. So know your stage of life, know your season of apprenticeship. Again, um, I'm thinking specifically of a person that I've, I've prayed for for a long time would, would come to believe that Jesus is who he he says he is, and uh, he hasn't yet. Uh, this friend is kind of a mixture of Buddhist and something else, but, um, but we're having conversations. Now, if one day he says, you know what, I believe, you know, there's, there's probably, he's not immediately going to go out and, and heal the sick. You know, he's probably not even going to pray out loud. So understand your stage of life and your season of apprenticeship. A great way to do that is what would Jesus do if he were me? Thirdly, don't underestimate the power of just practicing the way of Jesus in community. Don't underestimate that. I'm thinking about how um, when the Jewish people were practicing Sabbath, for example, in, in Roman-occupied territory, you know, Rome, Rome wasn't practicing Sabbath. I mean, they were working all the time. And so to see um, a, a people group actually stop and take a Sabbath and like, hey, what are, what are you doing? Oh, this is a day that we stop, we rest, and we, we worship God and we honor him with the first part of our week. I mean, that was evangelistic in, in that moment. You know, they want to know more. And it's difficult for us. We don't only have to go back about 100 years into America uh, history and, and realize that, you know, there was some, some remnants and some lingering effects of our, our Christian heritage that, you know, you couldn't go shopping on Sunday because stuff was closed, Right. Well, we don't live in that day anymore. And so we have kind of the same opportunity that first century um, Sabbath practicing people had. People say, hey, you don't answer your phone on Sunday or you don't, you don't, work, on, you don't work on Sunday? No, I don't. Well, why is that? And there's an opportunity. So don't underestimate the power of just simply practicing um, the way of Jesus in community. I love this quote from Dallas Willard. There is a special evangelistic work to be done. So if you don't know what that means, evangelistic, so that just means those of us who call uh, Jesus Lord and we've decided to follow Jesus, as we go and make disciples, that's kind of evangelism, right? We, we, speak, we speak with our lives and our, with our mouth who Jesus is. Evangelicals, um, evangelicalism kind of got turned into a dirty word 20 years ago in, in liberal circles. And they just think that that's a political thing. <clears throat> but it's not. So Dallas Willard is talking about those of us who, who know the Great Commission is to go and make disciples. There's a special evangelistic work to be done, of course. And there are special callings to it. But if those in the churches really are enjoying fullness of life, evangelism will be unstoppable and largely automatic. The local assembly, for its part, can become the academy, I love that, where people throng from the surrounding community to learn 
how to live. It'll be a school of life for a disciple is but a pupil, a student, where all aspects of that life seen in the New Testament records are practiced and mastered under those who have themselves mastered them through practice. Only by taking this as our immediate goal can we intend to carry out the Great Commission. I love that. It's so simple. Don't underestimate the power of just practicing the way of Jesus in community. Number four, start with the basics. Eat and drink with people far from God. Okay? How do we reach rural Knox County, Stark County, Henry County? It starts by eating and drinking with people far from God. I find it interesting that in Luke, in Luke 19 it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. But it also says that the Son of Man came eating and drinking. In fact, we know this, that the the Pharisees, um, they didn't like John the Baptist because he fasted, and they just thought, man, he's demon-possessed. But then Jesus comes along, and he's accused of being a drunkard and a glutton and hanging out with tax collectors. And Jesus kind of says, I came to to be with the sick, not the well. And he's kind of holding the Pharisees accountable. You know, we can't win either way. John fasted, I feast, you're not going to be happy anyway. But we see this all throughout Scripture, right? We see this with, uh, I mean, he'll see somebody in a tree and say, Hey, Zacchaeus, come out of that tree. Go into your house today. What are they going to do? They're going to eat and drink. They're going to fellowship around a table. Do what Jesus did. Eat and drink. Make a meal. Invite people over. Anybody can do that. No matter what stage of life and no matter what income level, no matter what season of apprenticeship, Start with the basics. Eat with people far from God. And number five, live in the moment. I probably, I don't need to, to stress this enough. You know this already. Your lives are scheduled to the moment. And all of you have your Google calendar. And if you're like our family, we have different colors for different people in our family. And we all share and we, you could look at that and you would be like, man, you, have, you are packed with things to do. And I assume most of you are like that as well. Here, here's the interesting thing. I don't see a lot of scheduled moments in Jesus' life where he's doing ministry. Um, except for teaching in the synagogue, most of what Jesus did that was recorded in Scripture happened on the way to somewhere. I, I think of, um, we went to Chicago on, on Wednesday, and uh, man, Chicago's just kind of a different place. I was telling somebody before church, it's like, it, it's not what Chicago used to be. I used to go up there and just think, I can't wait to get to Knox County, and man, I'm so glad I don't live there. This is the first time I've gone to Chicago, and I'm like, this ain't so bad, because there was nobody there. I mean, the streets were empty, the restaurants were empty, and um, and, and I, we, we saw quite a few homeless people, and again, we were challenged last week to ask the question every day, hey, God. What are we going to do today? And so, you know, as you, as you go on the train to Chicago and you still ask that question, there's lots of opportunity up there to, to ask that question and be obedient. And there was lots of homeless people around. And I remember um, one of my sons saying, man, I know why everybody wears their earbuds, their, their headphones in Chicago, because they don't have to hear the constant uh, people asking asking for money. And I don't know if that's true or not, but sure enough, if you're from Chicago, you can tell they had their earbuds in and they're just 
focused. So I don't see a lot of scheduled moments in Jesus' life. Everything that Jesus did was probably an interruption. So we just have to kind of take a deep breath, and we have to allow ourselves to be interrupted. And if you're finding yourself um, with zero margin in your schedule for interruption, ask God to help you slow down. (laughs) We talk about the pace of Jesus. It was probably about two miles per hour, which is painfully frustrating for most of us, but it's absolutely life-giving. Live in the moment. Throw some extra pork chops on the grill. Invite a neighbor over for dinner. All of us can sit around a table and have a meal with someone far from God. I love this insight from John Mark Comer that he gives about the dining room tables. And and just listen to this, and then we'll move into a time of communion. He says it like this. The history of the church is around the table. For hundreds of years, this is where the people of Jesus met. The gospel spread from one table to the next, from one home to another, all over a meal. The table is a very ordinary place, so routine and every day it's easily overlooked as the place of life-changing community. By setting a table and sharing a meal, we provide the context for which people feel loved, where people feel heard, a place where God's spirit can move. The practice of eating and drinking is central to the kingdom of God. Jesus ate with the lost, he ate with community, and he ate with God. I love that. Here's the takeaway, here's the doggy bag. No matter where you are in your apprenticeship journey, your spiritual maturity, all of us can set the table and eat with someone far from God. That's the flake of hay. Really simple. Over the next week, the next month, through the summer, begin to look at your table as fertile ground for the Great Commission. That's what Jesus would do if he were you. And that brings us to this table and this moment, the night that Jesus was betrayed. He broke bread with his disciples. And we, we take this moment, this time, there's this passage in um, 1 Corinthians. It says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. So listen. Let a person examine himself, then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on themselves. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask uh, Tyler and Pete if you want to come up and we will, we will pass these out. But what I'd love for you to do is just, you know, sometimes we talk about our schedule. We can even schedule a service. We can schedule the Holy Spirit right out of here. You know what I'm saying? So what I want to do is spend about 60 seconds or longer if needed. Um, and as we pass out the elements, I would love for you to just take a moment and just examine your heart. And just pray something like this, God, is there, is there anything, you know, I don't want to profane your name or, or your body. Is there anything here that, that you want to deal with? And just see if he brings anything to mind. And if he does, if there's any area of sin, just confess it right there in the, in the quietness of your, of your seat. 
ask God to forgive you and just move on to the next one. Is there anything else? Is there somebody that I need to forgive? Okay? So if you guys want to come up, I'll let you guys start passing these out. And just hold, hold the elements for now, and we'll partake of these together.